Hey guys, welcome to Captivate Podcast. You're with Mike and Andy. Andy, how are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good, man. How are you going? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Pretty pumped after a really, really great interview with like the nicest guy. He is the nicest person I have ever met. Yes. I think. And I mean, we're, we're not talking about a light topic here either, are we? Just, you know, just probably. You know, I think that this topic might be even a bit controversial. A little people. bit? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to tell everyone what the topic is? Uh, I think we're going to talk about the Bible, aren't we, Andy? Yeah. So, the yeah, so we're talking to Dennis Edwards, who is an associate professor at North Park University in Chicago. Um, so he's written a book called, What is the Bible and How Do We Understand It? Um, mm. So it's part of a, a, a series of uh, small books. Um, and we're going to talk to him just about his one that he's written. Um, but yeah, brilliant conversation, which we unpack a bunch of stuff about the Bible just to get that kind of yeah. going for this year. Because this isn't the only time we're going to put talk about the Bible this year, is it? Absolutely. And I think you know this topic is is huge, right? So I feel like we could have spent easily three or four hours just unpacking the content of, of his book and, and the topic itself. Yeah. But we only had time for a few few questions and a few sort of ideas. Um, maybe we should have him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be heaps keen. Cool. Um, right. But yeah, but do... Um, this is one of one, an easy, easy, easy read for people. They should really go yes. out and buy this book. If you're going to read anything, a lot of the, a lot of the books that we talk to people about are kind of you know borderline academic, mm. borderline um, you know need a degree to understand kind of thing. Uh, but this one is not. This yep. one is very different. Um, it is written with the normal layperson in mind. So do go out, buy it, and yeah. read it. Take your cup of ours, and you'll be better for it. Cool. So enjoy this conversation. Hopefully, after listening to this conversation, you go out and, and buy the book. It's definitely worth it. Dennis, welcome to Captivate Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a great privilege to have you on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be with you. Thank you. Why don't you, for, for everyone else, why don't you just introduce... Uh, yourself, just a little bit about yourself, uh, who's in family and what you do with your time. Yeah, thanks. Well, currently I'm the I'm an associate professor of New Testament at North Park Theological Seminary that's in Chicago, Chicago, yeah. Illinois. I uh, But I have been a pastor for many years uh, before that. I started a church in New York City in 1989. So I, I consider 1989 sort of the beginning of my full-time pastoral ministry. So that's been over 30 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I served as a church planter in New York. I served an established church in Washington, D.C., then planted a new another church in Washington, D.C., and then I took an established church in Minnesota. Uh, but, but during much of that time, I was teaching New Testament, earning my doctorate in New Testament um, at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. So I was an adjunct professor and a, and a pastor for many years, but now I'm full-time at North Park. Fantastic. Well, uh, Dennis, I'm not sure if you know this, but 2020 is supposed to be apparently the year of the Bible. I'm not sure if you've heard about that. 
I did not know that, and I feel like I should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've only found out actually uh, yesterday, I think, as I was just uh, preparing for this conversation with you today. And I think it's quite interesting because uh, Mike and I, we had a conversation at the beginning of the year uh, saying that we would like to spend a bit more time uh, this year in 2020 speaking about the Bible, what Bible is and what's it for and how to read the Bible. Maybe it's divinely ordained or maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a happy coincidence because you have actually uh, released a book very recently on that very topic, on what, what, what the Bible is. What is the Bible and how do we understand it? Right. Uh, is the title. And it's, this book is part of a new series of books called The Jesus Way, Small Books of Radical Faith. Right. Uh, so I was wondering, maybe before we jump into uh, the topic a bit more explicitly, if you could tell us why did you say yes to writing this book? Why did you agree? Yes, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, I, I'll give my medium-sized answer because there could be a longer <laughs> one, really. Sure. Um, but it relates back to just my own background growing up. I was in a church that, um, that taught what um, uh, some people call a oneness theology. There was no trinity, you know, Jesus only. And, and in, in addition to that, I think there were other things that were just simply confusing to me. So as a young adult, I was very interested in the Bible. And, uh, and I, that's what drove me to do the doctorate in, in biblical studies. I wasn't even thinking I'd be a professor. I just wanted to understand better. So that was a mm. quest I've had. And then I felt like I wanted to be like Ezra. Uh, it says about Ezra in the Bible that he, he um, wanted to know God's word, teach God's word and to um, um, to study God's word, in essence, to study it, to do it, and to teach it. And that became my own life goal. So when I was asked to write about the Bible, I thought, oh, I'm very excited to do this. And I had, by that time, taught undergrad and seminary students basic Bible courses mm-hmm. and found it to be um, an exciting thing that uh, students who had grown up even in church their eyes would open when they were learning some things about the Bible that they didn't know uh, prior, and and even how to approach the Bible in a more, uh, well, somewhat academic way, but a thoughtful way, I'll say, rather than a, a superstitious way. And for many people, that was enlightening. So I was very excited when I was asked to to do this project. Mm-hmm. So just yeah, just a couple more things. This is written at a. Um it's not written at seminary level. Uh, it's written as a very bite-sized kind of uh, few chapters right. uh, kind of thing that anyone can really understand. Um, so, yeah, I found that very helpful. Okay. You know, I've been to college, sure. but, you know, my uh, vocabulary is, is a little bit uh, wanting. Um, <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so I found that helpful in, in you know, like I could knock it off in a couple of hours, kind of thing. Um, you know, not not very long. So, um, so this is something that's very accessible for for people. Um, but just just um, yeah, just to kick us off, what what's one of the first words, or may, maybe this is something that you can ask, ask answer on behalf of um, some people. But what what what's one of the word, first words that comes to mind when you think of the Bible? What's hmm. one of the yeah, thank you. Um, there, there was a there's a lot there, uh, Mark. I appreciate that. Um, I, well, I do want to say first, I appreciate that you recognize that the Bible, that the book is written, the whole series that mm. that my book is part of, they're all designed for anybody to be able to um, 
understand these topics, which of course we could write much more about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they are um, pretty uh, uh, basic, I would say, in terms of a broad spectrum of readers. We want mm. it to be accessible. That's a good. So I'm glad that you noticed that. But for me, I think one of the first words that comes to mind is I do say word of God. I mean, when I say the Bible, I do want to say that it's the word of God. Um, now, I can qualify that in a sense. I mean, I don't mean that uh, in a way that uh, um, I don't want to disrespect the majesty of it. But when I say it's the word of God, I also want to recognize that humans were involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So I say that um, maybe that's more than what you asked. But uh, first thing that comes to mind, if you ask me about the Bible, I would say it's the word of God. But it's the word of God coming through human beings. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I appreciate that you that you qualified it that way because my my next question was is sort of related to what you just said. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was growing up in a in a church and it was a fairly uh, fundamentalist yeah context. I remember thinking the same thing about the Bible that is the Word of God, but I think my understanding was a bit different. Yeah. Almost like you know, for the Bible to be the Word of God, it means that. Everything that's written there, doesn't matter where we find it, which book, which epistle, which chapter, everything right. that's written there is something that God would, you know, subscribe to and say, yep, that's what I would say, that's what I'm saying. And then yeah. I remember I would sit at church and hear sermons that would say that Jesus is the word of God, and that would really confuse me. If the yeah. Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God, is yeah. there a difference? What's the distinction? How do we even begin to yeah. understand that. So do you have any thoughts on this? Or yes, how, thank you. It, That's how, great. How do, we, how do we make a distinction between Jesus being the word of God and, and the Bible? Very good. Yeah. The, so so when John 1, 1 says that Jesus is the word, word being with God and God, <laughs> that there's, you know, it took a lot of reflection on this, right? For, for us to come up with fancy theological words like hypostatic union and yeah you know, those kinds of things. But the idea of Jesus being fully God and fully human um, as the word or as the expression or the or God's self-expression, that's, we see this in Jesus, right? The opening of Hebrews says, you know, God spoke this way before through the prophets and such, but now he's spoken to us through his son, right? So Jesus is the expression of God in a very unique way, unlike anyone else. But these written words are the word of God in in a similar way in that they reflect a human divine uh, collaboration. God is speaking to human beings uh, through human beings, but it's different in that it is um, it's not the person. It's the expression of the per- of, of the person. So where Jesus is the person represents God, the written words are uh, uh, an expression, but not the but not God. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question 100%, but I do make a distinction in that Jesus being the living word, being uh, God in flesh, is different from the written word, although there's a parallel, right? There's yeah. human and divine in a similar way. That's the parallel for me. Okay, so, so if I can just pick up on this. So yeah. perhaps, I don't know, you're speaking a bit more theologically now. Would you say sure. that um, just like Jesus in his incarnation is human, and divine at the same time. So the, the word of God being the Bible also has the divine origin, and we can speak about this a bit later. 
but also yeah. is this this human product so it's almost like i don't know if it's even applicable to speak about this uh, mm-hmm. speak about bible this way but the bible has two natures <laughs> just like jesus yes yes that's 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 well said andy i think that's a good way to say it it has those two natures but in a sense but differently you know differently than jesus right because jesus right. is 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 this living uh well i i i say living in a very eternal sense of that word but we can say some of those same things about the bible right it's living and active hebrew says uh god's word doesn't come back empty so there's these these resonances right so the so the bible kind of reflects some of that um uh, uh dual nature like you see in in the person of jesus i think that's fair to say i think the bible communicates that even and and to say it has a human element does not mean that it's a that it's bad something that's human is not inherently bad if if we say jesus is human we don't mean to say there's a bad element right so mm-hmm. so being human doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's faulty or bad yeah mm-hmm. because i think in, when it comes to jesus we would say he's he's a perfect human and that's right kind of right humanity to what we would normally think that's of right. as that's a good say. way to say it I'm just human, so I make mistakes. Kind of right. Yes. That's good. That's good, Andy. I think that's a good distinction. Yeah. Mm. So I think, yeah, I think it's helpful because from, from from my experiences, and there's quite a few people that I've spoken to about this, when they hear this phrase, the Word of God, used about the Bible, they think of this kind of perfection, right? Because if God speaks, God is perfect, and His Word has right. to be perfect. And so, that's right. again, this is something that we'll probably get to later on in the conversation. But this whole notion mm-hmm. of inerrancy, right? The Bible right. being God's word, and if we insist on this this term, God's word, word of God, it has to be free of errors because yeah. how else would God speak? You know, God cannot <coughs> speak with errors unless we then explain, which you've done beautifully, that there's this human element there. Yeah, to take under consideration as well. I feel like right. I'm stopping Mike from yeah. asking you <laughs> questions, Mike. Oh, yeah, I was in. I was intrigued um, by so we uh, in in chapter one. You like chapter one. You call what is the purpose of the Bible, and you um, you explain this uh, grand narrative um, story, which I'm sure there's a lot of people who can identify with a grand narrative that kind of goes you know from creation to fall uh, to redemption consummation. There's a there's you know few people that probably break it apart some of those a little bit more um, just add a few more scenes in there but that's that's not uh, too um, foreign for people I think um, but um, yeah you, you provide something a little bit different um, in in that chapter which I that was new for me um, yeah. do you want to do you want to maybe explain um, you know what what you you've come up with in this particular chapter and why you've kind of put that forward as a um, as a alternative yeah thank you i you know not many have commented on that so i appreciate you saying you know as i was working through i thought i i came to a place where i was agreeing that there is a grand narrative i'm and yeah and a lot of scholars are saying that right i mean people mm. that your listeners might know like scott mcknight nt right i mean people who are these giants in new testament mm. and other biblical scholars have been have been trying to articulate that that there is a story here and uh some and, and like you said there's some variations some don't emphasize israel enough right and and nt wright and scott want to make sure scott mcknight he's a friend of mine so it's scott but yeah. um 
they want to make sure that we don't miss Israel's piece in this story, right? So, but the basic storyline has been creation, um, a fall, and then redemption. And but in that, I felt like one of the things that that maybe some reform uh, aspects of reform theology or some of even my fundamentalist friends with that with that scheme with that narrative. There's a there's a big emphasis on Paul and the writings of Paul and some theological reflection that Paul gives us on on the death and resurrection of Christ it, to a, to a, uh, in a maybe focused way and not much reflection on the gospels and the life of Jesus and not much reflection say on the prophets and mm-hmm. and big sections of the Old Testament so I thought is there a way that there's a story here that would include more elements of the act of the Bible. Um, so, be, so I thought, well, you know, what's happening in the prophets is that we keep getting this reflection on the kingdom and what the kingdom should be and, and the failures of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. So I real and then Jesus preaching is to preach the kingdom is near. So I kept thinking that kingdom is really what, what's, what's a big push here in the story. Mm-hmm. So, so Jesus, so God creates the world and I was reading something from uh, Walter Brueggemann on Genesis 3, and he says, you know, the Old Testament doesn't reflect that much actually on how evil came to be. Mm-hmm. It's just there, you know? Yeah. And I thought about that a, a lot and, and said, even um, much of the Jewish scriptures are not reflecting on this fall. They're, they're, they're working with um, uh, an, almost an assumption that evil is in the world and what, mm-hmm. we, what do we do about this? So I thought, well, what what would it mean if God's really the push is is this kingdom idea? So I just thought maybe that's what we're seeing here. We see the creation. Yes, evil enters the world, but we're not dwelling on how it got here. The question is, God can deliver us from it. So mm-hmm. God is this liberator who wants to establish his rule. So we see kingdom again. So creation, we see God liberating uh, and establishing kingdom doesn't quite go the way it should in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and says, ah, this is the kingdom. And he shows you what kingdom is like. And Paul reinforces messages of Jesus in a localized way by addressing congregations and such. And by the time we get to the end of Revelation, we see this restoration of creation. So we go from creation to new creation with kingdom as this sort of central idea. So I just saw that based on wanting to encompass more of the scriptures and not leave out big sections like the prophets and the gospels. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so with, with that in mind, so if we're, we're looking at uh, your, your particular, um, I guess, grand narrative that you, you put forward in chapter one and, and the one that's often uh, put forward, um, like how, how do these different things uh, affect how we understand the Bible as a whole? Mm. Like what, what, yeah, I guess like where, where we emphasize different things, how does that affect yeah. how we, how we then view the Bible? Yeah. Well, to be, to be honest, it might not in a, uh, affect how we re how we view the Bible. Uh, well, let's put it this way. How, however you might see that grand narrative, I think there's different ways that story can be emphasized. I don't think that that's the critical point in how you read the Bible. In other words, 
we can still have a very Jesus-centered reading of the Bible and you not agree with my grand narrative. So I still think that, um, so, so the driver is Jesus in how I read the Bible. It's not particularly that grand narrative, although I, I like what I proposed, but I, yeah. but I don't think, but I don't think that's the key. I think the yeah. key is okay. Jesus. I think the yeah. key is Jesus. Uh, and, and so my criticism of other readings of, of this grand narrative is that I don't think there's enough Jesus. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I think there's a lot of crucifixion and, yeah. and resurrection, but there's not a lot of life of Jesus. So I think there's something there in the gospels and in the life and person of Jesus that I did want to make a, a be front and center. And I think that's very um, Anabaptist. Mm, Absolutely. Mm. So I'm, I'm just thinking now as you are explaining this, in the mm-hmm. life of Jesus, so looking at uh, Synoptics and John, Yeah. Uh, how, how do we see Jesus relating to the Bible, his Bible being just the Old Testament, uh-huh. Hebrew Scriptures? Is he actually, would you say in your research, have, have, if you've done any research on this mm-hmm. specifically, is Jesus relating to uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, as the word of God? And would he frame it that way? Yeah. And then I've got another yeah. question after that. Well, sorry. I, well, no, that's a great question. And I would say yes. And uh, and Jesus, at least as I'm thinking right now, as you ask that question, a bunch of things came to mind. One of them would be uh, that exchange in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount section in chapter mm-hmm. 5 where he says, I didn't come to to abolish the Torah, right? Or mm. Greek is namas, so the law. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Yes. So, so you see Jesus very respectfully talking about it. And then even in, in his interactions, there's allusions or straight out citations, right? The cleansing of the temple or, the, or his presence at the temple on a, what we call Palm Sunday where he says, you know, my house is to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of robbers. And he's, and he's alluding right back to Jeremiah. So Jesus was clearly free to pull in uh, scripture references, make, make points. He does that with Satan, right, with the uh, temptation in the desert. Yeah. So you've got Jesus clearly seeing the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Jewish Bible as the word of God and, and using it with that kind of authority. If, to borrow another heavy word, authority, but using it with yeah. that uh, voice of God. Um, okay. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I think as well you you probably agree with this. Hopefully, Jesus speaks from that tradition, from that prophetic tradition. So he's yeah using the the prophetic voices of Hebrew scriptures to make a point mm-hmm. and, and often teach something different, even or reinterpret what's been commonly known. Yeah. But I'm wondering about the prophets in the Old Testament. You know how sometimes you come across those passages where, say, Jeremiah or any any other prophet will say things like, the word of the Lord came to me, and then he quotes. So I'm wondering, what's the relationship between this particular phrase, the word of the Lord, or the word of God, who would say, came to me, and then the rest of this grand narrative of the Bible? Is, Is there a distinction between... The, the word of the Lord coming to the prophet being more so the word of God than the actual sixty six books that we had. I just thought of I just thought of this connection. I don't know if that's that's an interesting question. I would that's an interesting question. I would I would I would answer in a couple of ways. One is the uh, very nature of God. I think is to help God's people 
in their situation. And I think that's what prophets do, right? They speak to the situation. They speak to the context. Now, one would hope, and I think it's true, that those contexts that were, you know, whether it's Micah, Jonah, whomever, right, from the Mm -hmm. prophets, we get the benefit of that having those words and we look and see how they might speak to our context. But but they were once they were first delivered in a particular context, right? Mm. So I think that there's when it's the word of God uh came to so and so saying, I think it's because it's addressing particular context that may resonate for later generations for sure. I think that, that I think Paul's doing the same thing. I think when Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. He's doing like those Old Testament prophets and has a word from the Lord for this context, but it might resonate for subsequent generations like we hope it does for us. So I think in some ways the same thing is going on there. I would say what's, what's, what I want to add to that, though, is the uniqueness of Jesus in that it's sort of like in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say, right? So Jesus gives his authority to that. And then, and then like the writer of Hebrews says, God spoke the prophets but in these latter days he's spoken to us through his son so so jesus is now the supreme of voice but i do see a a similar kind of thing happening god is speaking now you you asked it in relation to written word i think that the written word simply is a reflection of those contextualized words that came from the the prophets or the apostles or whomever okay very good Um, I had a question about, I think, one of the most famous verses that's used to talk about the nature of the Bible from the New Testament. Uh, it's uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and the phrase that's used there, which different English translations will, will have a different word there, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about God breathed. The scriptures mm-hmm. are God breathed. Yeah. I was wondering if you could help help us understand this a bit more and another question i had was in relation to this phrase god breathe mm-hmm. maybe potentially i don't know uh, have, having the connection with genesis 1 and the story of creation how god is breathing in creating adam i think that's an awesome connection i i, I and I, I really appreciate you making it because i think that really what both of those passages are about is the holy spirit mm-hmm. i think um I think that the Genesis creation story gets at the role of the spirit, the spirit of God hovering over the, the deep, right? I mean, over the waters. So we have God's spirit active in creation. And I think similarly, we see God's spirit active in the, uh, the scriptures. Now, the God breathe part, I mean, some translated straight out God's breathe, uh, others, you know, inspiration. Mm. It's inspiration is sometimes people's I think their imagination is that they see these apostles or whomever sitting in a dark room, you know, with God somehow pushing their hand along to write because yeah. you know, it's in that really kind of almost a magical kind of fashion. Like um, uh, like divine dictation or something. Yeah, divine dictation. And I was taught that as a kid. You know, that was that and and I and then as you get older, you think, did God really need my hand? I mean, or or somebody's hand to write? I mean, in Daniel, he writes on the wall by himself. You know, so it just seems kind of odd um, that you need a human being's arm and and hand. 
Um, so the God breathe part says that the spirit is active in the process. So just like the spirit is active in creation, just like the spirit is moving in other ways, the spirit is also involved in the, um, in the, in the writing and in the, uh, transmission of the scriptures. Mm. Because the reason why I asked this question is I was imagining before, as you were speaking about, you know, the, the human and divine nature of the Bible that potentially this connection between uh, what Paul says in Second Timothy and then Genesis 1 is a reflection of that. You know, just like God creates a human being, human beings are not perfect, and yet there is this aspect of God breathing into them their spirit. So I guess yeah. you know, I like that's, that. that's where my brain that, is going. Mm. I think that's good too, Andy. I, that's a good connection. I was mentioning just the... The, the other parts of creation, like the, the waters and, and all, but even the human beings, I think, I think that's, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Mm. So is there a particular yeah. translation that you prefer? And <laughs> why? Yeah, well, it's funny because I said, I, that's a good way to ask it because I say in the book, people have asked me what's the best, and I don't like that question, although I joke <laughs> with them, the best for what? Um, but I, you know, I mean, in scholarly circles, a lot of people use the NRSV, and uh, so I tend to use that. Um, but I try to practice using my my uh, Greek and Hebrew, so I, I I I try to use that first. But when I'm in the classroom, I I start with the NRSV mm. because a lot of my colleagues do, and um, but I do think it's a, a fair translation. I think it's uh, it respects. Uh, women more um mm. i think than some so i i usually start there although i'm a very um i'm very uh uh i, I don't know I, I don't know what a good word would be. i was going to say gracious that's that seems so almost pompous i don't mean it like that i just meant i'm flexible in terms mm. of borrowing from a lot of different translations and i like to compare so i get my students to do that too because i mean with electronic resources you can compare so um yeah. but for, but for devotional purposes people like to read something they get used to and get comfortable that's fine um, but i do ask them to to uh, compare uh, various translations especially if they're doing any serious study mm. <clears throat> um well a little while ago you threw out a um uh, a bit of a word that you highlighted authority yeah. Um, so in yeah, that that's of, often a um yeah a, a word that's used to describe uh what the Bible is uh for us um you know and um there's also you know the authority of of Jesus um right. yeah in Matthew 28 at the end of that chapter it says all authority on heaven and earth has been given yeah. to me. Um, you know, and you know, trying to relate those two things then is uh, is yeah, can be a bit problematic if you take that to the nth degree. Um, but I guess um, what uh, how, how do you, how do you see those things? How do you how do you yeah. make those play together well? That that was very good, and uh, and I did use that word earlier, assuming that we were going to talk about it. <laughs> it was great, but I really appreciate what you just did. You pointed to the authority being with Jesus. And that's mm. ultimately what we're trying to say here. And even people who in certain circles will talk about the authority of the Bible, um, sometimes they act as if it's the it's the paper and the ink that has the authority. Mm. And I want to make the case it's the person about whom the book is written. Mm. God has the authority. Yeah. But 
but that verse that Andy cited earlier, the second Timothy verse, where it says scriptures God breathed and is profitable. Mm-hmm. And, and when it describes the things that is profitable for, it's to make the us, the people, the, the readers of it, um, better equipped. So in that sense, it's, it's authority is, is, a, is reflective, right? It's the authority the Bible has is, is, is in as much as it's pointing to Jesus. And therefore, then it has this ability to help us be more like Jesus. It's guiding us to Jesus. Mm. I think you said you had Bruxy Cavey on your program before, and I actually listened mm. to an earlier podcast. And he says something similar, that the book is actually pointing us to the person. I would agree yeah. with that. So the authority yeah. is in the person of Jesus, right? Mm. And the book's authority is derived from that. It's yeah. authority. It's it, the only authority it has is, is that it points me to Jesus. It's the it's one of the best things we have to point me to Jesus. The Spirit of God yeah. and the written Word of God are what we have to point us to Jesus. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love. Um, so I just say this just so people can hear what i'm talking about um but you said in your your book your uh, the northern seminary uh statement about the bible is that we submit to the authority of the word of god incarnate in jesus christ made mm. known in the whole of scripture as supreme authority for faith and practice i love that particular statement i would wish more christian organizations had that <laughs> that kind of em- emphasis um but yeah, but it's you know great that you can be even teaching in a place in which that upholds yeah. that uh, particular view of of God and yeah. of, of Scripture as well. So yeah, fantastic. Well, to be to be fair, that's where I used to teach. I'm now at North Park, but yeah, <laughs> but that was the that is Northern statement, and I put it in there yeah. because at the time I wrote this, I was teaching there. But yeah. yeah, I yeah. Agree caught that that there's a connection to the word of god but to the person of jesus right yeah Thank you. yeah and, and unfortunately this is not something that's very common when it comes to churches or different christian um statements of of faith like christian organizations you know it's what's often emphasized is the authority of the bible and jesus is not spoken about in, in the context of the bible at all so I, i'm i'm with you michael mm. so i really appreciate how yeah. it's phrased because yeah. it's actually yeah it's actually pointing us to jesus being the main authority and Bible is having the authority, but almost, I think Brian Zahn says this, almost in a penultimate sense. So uh, Bible being the word of God in penultimate sense, and Jesus yeah. being the supreme authority, uh, yes. incarnate word of God, that actually points us in, in the most most supreme way to who God is, God's character. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I've been having quite a few conversations uh, with people about this this relationship of you know, the, the authority of the Bible and, and authority of Jesus. And a few people pointed out to me that sometimes we read the New Testament or the Old Testament, but New Testament uh, most primarily, and we find things there that seem to be, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say contradictory, but yeah. challenging yeah. when it comes to uh, what Jesus says in the Gospels, for example. So, so yeah. a good example would be in the book of Revelation, uh, where Jesus uh, seems to be presented as a warrior that comes back and slaughters people and is very violent in his judgment. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and this is obviously not very consistent with what he teaches in the Gospels on enemy love and all this. And, and my uh, more reformed friends would, would always say to me, the Bible says, the word of God says that Jesus is yeah. coming as a warrior to judge and to wage war and to kill his enemies in a, in a very violent way. And I would want to say, well, 
how, how can you think about this passage differently in light of what we in the gospel? So this is a very right. long way to ask a question. <laughs> but here's my question. My question mm -hmm. is, when we look at the, the authority of Jesus and what he says as being the supreme authority, does that mean that we are creating a canon of the gospels mm. within the larger canon? And yeah. is, there a, is, it, is it wrong or is it actually the way we should be treating this? Yeah, I've, that's, that actually is a great question. And I, I confess that I still wrestle with it a bit because I, I, I do want all scripture. Now, of course, when Second Timothy is written, we don't even have a New Testament canon at the time, but, but it's starting to come, you know. So to say all scripture is profitable, I don't want to, I don't want to um, say that there's a canon within the canon. I actually think places like Paul, uh, you know, when he says Christ is the end of the law in Romans ten four, that he that that we're not saying that um, the gospels trump the letters or revelation. What we're saying is that the person of Jesus, but we meet that person and we see his own teachings in the gospel. So I'm I'm hesitant to make uh, more you know books of the Bible more important than the than others. I think that the whole witness of scripture, though, is saying that the Jesus that we see in the Gospels is is present throughout. And I guess if, if we were if we had more time, we could actually play that out to say yes. the, God, the, the letter writers and other places are really echoing what we've seen in the Gospels. I mean, just one quick example is that the book of James, even though there's hardly any there's nothing in there about the crucifixion or resurrection, which is actually why Martin Luther didn't like James. But. But there's a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. So you have the teachings of Jesus in the book of James. So you do see Jesus coming. So I don't I don't want to make a canon within the canon, but I still say that there's the Gospels help us to see the character of Jesus. And that resonates in other places. Uh, and just quickly about Revelation. I do think that uh, it, without trying to do exposition of Revelation, it's just the bigger question of, of genre, of paying yes. attention to the kind of literature. And that's something that you hinted at earlier on in the program, but but I think not a lot of my, the way I grew up, understood genre. So everything you read was either a command or an endorsement from God, and we didn't understand that writers are giving us information in a colorful and a nuanced and a, and a, and a culture-bound and a, oh, uh, a literary way. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and I suppose as well, those apparent contradictions, example that we are talking about now between Revelation and Gospels, that should be something that motivates us to ask the question about the genre as well as what, what's actually going on there. Right? Why, right. why does it seem to be different? To exactly. And when you say what's going on there, that's, that's a Greg Boy question. And when you yes. get Greg yeah. to the show, um, when he was writing his Crucifixion of the Warrior God, I mean, he would use that phrase a bit. And when he talks about it, What's going on there? And that, so I think that that's always a good question for readers of the Bible to ask rather than just recite the verse, and, and which is good to know it and to be able to recite verses. But the questions you want to ask is, what's going on here? So I think mm. that's really good. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've, put, we've kind of talked about this um, a little bit already uh, with how central uh, you make Jesus to... Um, your understanding of the whole Bible um, as as a whole. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how how that works in the sense of um, you know some people might explain it like uh, reading the Bible 
backwards through through the lens of Jesus or um, different things, but how then um, you know we can still be in a forward trajectory to all of the things that Jesus actually brings yeah. for us. Yeah. Well, you 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 got it. I think that say I'm reading the Hebrew scriptures um, as a Christian, I want to do a couple of things. I mean, I want to always want to pay attention to what those scriptures seem to have meant in their world, because I want to respect that world. I don't want to jump to my 21st century world right away. Yeah. So, but, but then I do ask myself as a Christian, how might these scriptures be pointing me toward what the New Testament is saying about Jesus or saying about God or about humans? Um, so in that sense, the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. And sometimes it's very obvious, right? Like you have, you have scriptures that are quoted in the New Testament. So it becomes very obvious that the New Testament writers are making that connection for us. So we see mm-hmm. it very clearly. Yeah. But sometimes it's, it's subtle and we don't see it. And I think that one of the examples I use in the book is in, the, um, is in uh, uh, Isaac carrying his wood for his sacrifice when, his, yes. when Abraham's taking him you know, on Mount Moriah is that there's nothing in that passage that's explicit about Jesus. But even Jewish interpreters said, um, by the time we get to the first century, that it echoes um, the, the crucifixion where the, the person getting you know, executed is carrying their own, <laughs> their own cross. Um, so, so you get a glimpse even, a, a foreshadowing in a way, even though the scripture didn't explicitly speak about Jesus. And that happens a lot, right? Um, So that's a looking forward kind of a thing. Sometimes, like I said, explicit, sometimes subtle. But um, yeah, and then then, yes, we can look backwards and say, and I guess in a sense I was doing that just then. I'm looking back to this passage with Jesus in mind, right? And then there's some times where it's pointing forward in a very obvious sense. When there's when there's prophecy or or discussion about what the what Jesus would be like, what the Messiah would be like, um, those kinds of things. I, yeah. I hope that's getting at what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, Dennis, we want to be respectful of your time, so I just ask you final question. And if Mike doesn't have any more questions, <laughs> that would be roughing up there. But I, I, I was just wondering, you had a very good emphasis in your book on something that you call congregational hermeneutics. Yeah. And so I was wondering if in relation to how we read the Bible and how we make sense of the Bible, if you could maybe explain for us and for our listeners a bit more what you mean by congregational hermeneutics and then yeah. how, how, how do we actually practically see that uh, happen uh, in our yeah. That's a great question. I, I, I'll, I'll say, well, I'll, I'll be brief, but I think it's the kind of thing that we could continue to contemplate because many times, especially in more evangelical circles, we have seen one person up front, the expert, telling us. And, but we're not the only ones. I mean, my Roman Catholic friends said that's the way it used to be all the time. The priest was the one who could interpret the scripture. So we had to have this expert, right? Um, but if everyone who follows Jesus and, and has the spirit of God dwelling in them, then they also can uh, be uh, understanding what the scriptures are teaching. And I believe we best arrive at what God is trying to tell us when we are, are made to come together to reflect on that. But that together, I want to put in a very big way. I want together to mean 
the whole communion of the saints, ancient and modern. So that means we want to look back at the way uh, our, our forebearers interpret scripture. We want to consider the way people look at it now. And it doesn't take away from academic understanding. We want to treat it still as an ancient text that we've got to do some digging. But it's also a living text. So we want to do some reflecting. That happens with a bunch of people. So the quick answer is when we're sitting around talking, yes, in a smaller context, we can start to talk about what it means. This is not just a reflection of various opinions. This is, yeah. a, this is a thoughtful process engaging the text. Scholars do that all the time, actually, but people don't think that, but we do. I mean, that's why we go to professional gatherings. That's why we listen to papers. That's why we read other people's books, because we're trying to respect this whole communal voice. I just want to make a plea that we want those voices to not just be white and European. So I often say that, and, or male. So there's so many ways that the people of God are diverse and varied. We want to try to get everybody's voice um, engaging. And now with technology, we can do that better and better. All right. Well, I had one more question, but I think, I don't know if I can ask or not. Well, <laughs> we can We're still good, it's right? A, it's a it's a sort of a tricky question that I've just oh. uh, written down. And I don't know if, mm -hmm. if this is now. We don't, we don't have to include that. If, if, do the best uh, I can. If it's going <laughs> to go for too long. But uh, one of the things I really appreciated about your book is that well, it's, it's short and it's very concise, but it also has the reflection questions at, at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is which is fantastic. I'm not sure if this is something that the publisher wanted or if this is uh, something that came yeah. from you, but it was it was really brilliant to for the opportunity to actually reflect on the content by sure. looking at the questions. And you know, I think it's fantastic as well for like studying this topic in in, in groups, right? Yeah. So one one of the questions that you've got there is um, relating to chapter three, and I can't remember which question it is, but you ask about the end of Psalm 137, which yeah. is quite quite graphic and, and sort of violent content there, and how yeah. that corresponds to Jesus' teaching on nonviolence and enemy love from Matthew 5, which I thought, wow, that is a powerful, excellent question to wrestle with. And so my question was going to be, I was wondering if you could respond to this question for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So... <laughs> that, that, that's a good question. It's funny because I, I'm laughing myself because I purposely picked a hard one, but I didn't know I was going to have to answer it. So. Uh, <laughs> we tricked you. There you go. <laughs> but, 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 but just real quickly, the end of 137, where the um, where this this image of the of children being dashed against the rocks. Yes, it's clearly the people of God very upset with Babylon. And then the thing that intrigues me is that if the Psalms were sung, is like, how do you sing that? How do you say <laughs> But anyway, but, but then I do say about nonviolence, right? So I, my rec the way I reconcile things is that the people of God in the Old Testament are merely expressing their, their grief in some very mm. graphic ways. And, and at the time, the way that you would is like, Lord, they did this to us. This they have to pay. They have, they, they have to get it back. Now, they're expressing this desire is not the same as saying that God should do, uh, will do this, or that we should even ultimately uh, seek to do that ourselves. But who hasn't felt that kind of pain at some yeah. point in time? So, what, so for me, I need the words of Jesus to remind me that 
while I may feel this kind of anger and hatred inside, I cannot act on it because the way I see Jesus is that's not the way he would do and it's not what he taught. Mm. So so, so what I, I did a whole preaching series on the Psalms and I called it, not all of them, but I preached yeah. and I called it Honest to God because I think what the Psalms are doing, especially these kinds, or they're expressing the honest feelings of human beings under the spirit's movement to express honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not, but but that's when we said before, it's just because it's expression doesn't mean it's sanctioned, right? It means this is how people are feeling, but it doesn't mean that I have license now to take revenge myself or to or to um or to even want God to really kill other people on my behalf. Um, but when I am hurting. Yeah. I want God to to take care of the situation. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's like a, a descriptive expression of lament more than something that yeah. we should be. So if I'm angry, if I'm angry with Micah, I shouldn't be quoting this passage. And, hope, and hopefully, God's going <laughs> or, to deal with or it. Or maybe, or maybe, or maybe you do. So you just get it out by just reading the passage and saying, "This is how I'm feeling right here. I'm feeling one. I'm feeling Psalm one thirty seven right now." Right. right, right. <laughs> well, I think this is a beautiful way to. T- conversation because what you just said uh dennis is exactly what it means i think to, to read the bible through the lens of jesus right yeah. to always come back to jesus yeah and what he so. says mm. thank you thank I you think. so much it's been fantastic i've got about five thousand questions but we have to end oh yeah. <laughs> yeah you know i and and i appreciated it too i mean i i guess i have a bunch of questions too but i i'm just thrilled that you took the little book and saw so much in there because mm. i do want to say that even though it's it, it's short on purpose, and the whole series does have discussion questions, um, it, it 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 should do what's happening for you guys, which is to prompt even more questions. And when that happens, we hopefully will do more investigating and then more communal discussion. So I think that's a good thing. Great. Yeah. So yeah. then it's just officially before we finish. Uh, is there any websites or any sort of um, you know platforms that you are active on social media wise that we can point people to and so that they can find out more about your work and and thank keep you. tracking with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm on the basics. I'm on Facebook. Uh, uh, if you go to uh, facebook.com slash Rev Dr. Dre, R-E-V-D-R-D-R-E, you'll find me. Same with Twitter, Rev Dr. Dre. Um, same with Instagram, Rev Dr. Dre. <laughs> and, I, and I blog... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's consistent. I blog occasionally with uh, Missio Alliance. I forget their exact handle, but I think you could just find. I think it's missioalliance.com, and okay. um, and I I blog with them occasionally. So those are some places where you find me. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. So well, much. thanks so much for yeah, yeah being on Captivate Podcast and um, yeah, it was a it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.